0: So last week we, um, we went over 2 Chronicles chapter 10. And this was when Rehoboam assumed the reign of Israel. It was at that time that um, the nation of Israel was torn from him almost entirely. Ten tribes to the north, and he was left with Benjamin and Judah, the two tribes to the south, Jerusalem. And it was only by God's mercy that he was left with those two tribes and remained on the throne over the southern kingdom of Judah. Well, tonight we continue and we'll conclude the study of Rehoboam's reign over Judah and his life. The kingdom again of Israel is now divided. Ten tribes to the north, two to the south. And Rehoboam has been, as we have learned, unwise We have learned that he is undiscerning. He chose badly. He received the counsel of two two different groups. and, And he chose to follow the counsel of the younger men, those whom he grew up with, his peers. And therefore, by receiving their counsel, responded to the people. And it was because of that... And more, as we'll learn, that the kingdom was torn, and by again God's mercy and God's faithfulness to His word, and to in 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 uh, realizing and thinking about and acknowledging what He said to David, he was left to reign over two tribes. We'll learn of what Rehoboam did when he returned to Jerusalem from Shechem after he remember he ran from the people. Who had rejected him as king. We'll also see Rehoboam described as possessing an established kingdom. uh, Knowing a strength within the kingdom. And at the same time, we'll learn how it was that he abandoned the law of God. Or he abandoned the word. And so, suffering the consequences of that. And being given over to God's judgment given over into the hands of Shishak, the king of Egypt. And in the end, as we look at the the final few verses of chapter 12, we'll see how it was that God concluded, uh, gave basically the bottom line as far as King Rehoboam's life was concerned. And how it was that God had described him as being a king That did not do well. And was evil in the sight of God. He was after his own glory. But in the midst of it all, we should not focus on Rehoboam. We should not focus on Jeroboam, which we'll learn about also. The man who was reigning as king over the northern kingdom. But remember always to keep your eyes On God in the midst of it all. Keep your eyes on him. What does God require of us? That's what we ought to consider. What does he expect of us? What does he want us? Or how does he want us to respond? Even even to discipline. Have you ever found yourself in a state of discipline with the Lord? I think if you walk with the Lord long enough. You'll find yourself there at some point. To where he's convicting you of something. Or allows you to fall into and deal with the consequences of your own bad decisions and yet it's always for a purpose it's to bring you to a place of confession and repentance bringing you back to that place of sound of a, having a sound and enjoying a sound relationship with the father so let's begin second chronicles chapter 11 verse 1 this says, When Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled the house of Judah and Benjamin, 180,000 chosen warriors, to fight against Israel to restore the kingdom to Rehoboam. But the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, Shemaiah the man of God. Say to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all Israel and Judah and Benjamin, Thus says the Lord. You shall not go up or fight against your relatives. Return every man to his home, for this thing is from me. So they listened to the word of the Lord and returned and did not go against Jeroboam. So as we see here, Rehoboam, after having fled, and that's what we learned last week, Uh, After having fled from the northern tribes, which rejected him as king, assembled an army of 180,000 warriors from the tribes of Benjamin and Judah. So he left, he fled from Shechem, he came to Jerusalem, and immediately assembled 180,000 warriors. He was ready. He was ready. And the, the purpose for assembling all of this all of these warriors, was to restore the kingdom to himself. And that's what we read there. His whole intention was to restore, well, now we're going to restore it. Oh, you ten tribes want to reject me? Well, that's not going to happen. But remember, this is exactly what he had promised them to begin with. In 2 Chronicles chapter 10, verse 14, it says, My father disciplined you with, wh- with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So he had promised this. This is what the young men, his peers, had counseled him to, to do, to tell them that he would rule over them with an iron fist. But they rejected him. And now he intends to violently attack the northern kingdom with his army to force them to comply and cause them to fall under his rule. So he was going to take them by force. You want to reject me? Remember, I'm going to rule over you. I'm going to discipline you. Strongly and fiercely and violently. And he had all the intentions to do that. He was preparing to show them that he would do what he threatened to do to begin with. But the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, the man of God, saying to Rehoboam. Rehoboam had his plans and he was about to execute those plans, but God had different plans. God sent his prophet to stop Rehoboam from doing what he had planned to do. He told him, stop, you will not. This is from me. Send everyone home. What is happening is beyond you, Rehoboam. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, and I'm reminded of of these two verses often. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. Do you like to have everything figured out? Planned out? I don't know of many people who just kind of like to uh, just go, not knowing what tomorrow brings, just kind of, what are you doing tomorrow? I don't know. Just, we'll see when it comes. Most people want to know what tomorrow, what tomorrow's plans are, what next week's plans are, have everything kind of figured out, right? Laid out. And it's a good thing to be organized and, and plan ahead. But oftentimes what the Lord does in the midst of our plans is he He stops certain things, and he changes, and he redirects. And we should be okay with that. Considering his thoughts, his plans, his ways. It brings comfort. It brings peace. It allows me to... Know that God is working and He is in the midst, and His ways and His plans and His thoughts are way better than mine. Well, Rehoboam's lack of discernment in the counsel he received was known by God before it even happened, it was all for a purpose. It was used to expose his lack of discernment through the response of the people in the tearing apart of the kingdom. It didn't come to God as any surprise that this is exactly what Rehoboam had chosen to do. It was in his heart from from the beginning. Remember that we had gone through chapter 10 and, and even before he received Counsel from the younger men. He had already rejected. He had had abandoned the counsel. That he had received from the elders. From the older men. He had already rejected that. So what happened was used. To expose his lack of discernment. Through the consequences of what came afterwards. Listen there are times when God removes what is. A cancer within his people. Some examples can be seen in the story of Achan. In Joshua chapter 7. In the New Testament you can see evidence of that. An example of that in the story of Ananias and Sapphira. In Acts chapter 5. But other times he allows division. The work of the enemy to move forward. But it serves actually as the enemy believes and thinks that perhaps his will and plans are coming about to destroy. It's actually used to expose, to reveal the hearts of people. You know, when we are left to the consequences of our own actions what happens is the Lord desires one thing. And that is that someone at that very moment to where our sin is revealed, that that person would confess and repent. But that doesn't happen all the time, does it? Sometimes as the Lord reveals things and allows things to happen because of our pride, because of our choice to not heed God's warning. Our hearts get hardened even further, and we choose to reject God. You know, the danger with that is that our our consciences can be seared, and we get to the point to where we no longer... Uh, Sense that conviction. We have absolutely no response to any conviction. That we receive by the spirit. Now there's a purpose. To how the Lord does certain things. Again sometimes removing. Those things from amongst his people. But there's other times when. He leaves things to play out the way they're going to play out. So that. The hearts of of the people would be exposed and the people would come to a place of repentance. Such as we see here with Reboam. Hebrews chapter 12 verses 5 and 6 says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. We make plans to do something, but then we get confronted by the word of God. But, right, we make plans, just like what happened here. Rehoboam made those plans, 180,000 warriors. We're going to go after the northern kingdom. We're going to make sure that they comply. And then he sends Shemaiah the prophet, to Rehoboam. He says, stop. We're confronted by the word. We're confronted by the word all the time. Proverbs 16.9 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. If you yield to the authority of his word in your life, well, then he's the one that is establishing your steps. He desires to establish your steps. Um, in Psalm 119.105, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. He wants to show you the path to take, to establish those steps. But again, we have the choice to either accept or reject, to willfully go in that direction that he is showing us to go, or to reject that. If we reject it, then we'll be confronted and we'll be held accountable for that. It's interesting how one man with God's word was able to be used by God to stop an army of 180,000 warriors. From advancing and doing something against God's will. But I thought, how often, how many times are we just one person confronted by God's word and we don't yield to the authority of his word. This was able to stop 180,000 warriors just by one man that was sent by the Lord to tell Rehoboam, stop, This this is something that I'm doing. You know, that's how it should be with you and I. We should be willing to believe God at his word and when we are confronted with his word, to yield, to submit to and follow his word, not, ha- not having to be told twice, just the one time. The word came to Rehoboam from God through the prophet to cease and desist his plans to attack his own relatives, as we read, and he listened to the word of the Lord, returned and it did not proceed with his plans to attack. Just absolutely amazing, right? Right? Verse 5 says, Rehoboam lived in Jerusalem, and he built cities for defense in Judah. He built Bethlehem, Etam, Tekoa, Bethsur, Soko, Edulam, Gath, Marisha, Ziph, Edoraim, Lachish, Azekah, Zorah, Ejelon, and Hebron. Fortified cities that are in Judah and in Benjamin. He made the fortresses strong and put commanders in them and stores of food, oil, and wine. And he put shields and spears in all the cities and made them very strong. So he held Judah and Benjamin. So he heeded the word of the Lord brought forth from or through the prophet Shemaim. So instead of attacking um, the northern kingdom, he fortified the southern kingdom giving them the ability to defend themselves effectively if, by chance, the northern kingdom attacked them. So not only did Rehoboam build up cities, but he also strengthened their fortresses, as we read here. He assigned commanders to oversee and lead the warriors assigned to those cities and fortresses. Rehoboam made sure that they all had the necessary provisions For physical sustainment and adequate to make sure that they had adequate weaponry to defend themselves in the case that they were attacked. And this made them, as we see here, very strong and enabled them, again, to defend and maintain their positions in the southern kingdom. Physically, nationally, they had all necessary provisions to sustain themselves. But notice something that's not mentioned. And that is the worship of the Lord. uh, The continuation of that worship in Jerusalem. But we'll get to that next. But that's something that was missing. Listen, we could be well prepared. We can have all the provisions in the world to, to sustain ourselves physically. And yet, if we neglect ourselves spiritually, neglect the reading of God's word, prayer, fellowship, the study of God's word, our devotional time with the Lord, then we can grow weak spiritually. And it doesn't matter how much we take care of ourselves outwardly. Inwardly, the man is perishing. The person is perishing. We are drawing away from the Lord, not closer to the Lord. Because eventually, if their spiritual strength fails They will fail altogether, and they will come short of just bringing glory to the Lord. They are, by the way, God's people. They're God's chosen people. But they were, at this time, they were given everything necessary to defend themselves. They're described as being very strong and having all the provisions and all the weaponry necessary to defend themselves. Verse 13, though, says, And the priests and the Levites who were in all Israel presented themselves to him from all places where they lived. For the Levites left their common lands and their holdings and came to Judah and Jerusalem, because Jeroboam and his sons cast them out from serving as priests of the Lord. And he appointed his own priests for the high places and for the goat idols and for the calves that he had made. And those who had set their hearts to seek the Lord God of Israel, came after them from all the tribes of Israel to Jerusalem to sacrifice to the Lord, the God of their fathers. They strengthened the kingdom of Judah, and for three years they made Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, secure. For they walked for three years in the way of David and Solomon. Look, what we need to note here is who made the kingdom strong for three years? Who made Rehoboam secure for three years? We need to take note. It was not Rehoboam himself, although he provided everything that the fortified cities needed, secured them, strengthened them, physically, right? With all the weaponry that they needed. That wasn't what made them strong. even if he had able commanders in every single city, every single fortress that that he had built. It was actually the priests and the people who had set their hearts to seek the Lord God of Israel, to sacrifice to the Lord the God of their fathers, the people of God who trusted him, knowing he is faithful and he is the only God. There is no other God besides him. These priests and these people, they were the outcasts. They were the ones that were rejected by the northern kingdom, by Jeroboam and all of his people. They were kept from serving and worshiping God as God had prescribed for him to be worshiped. And they all wanted to come to Jerusalem. They all left and came to the southern kingdom to worship the Lord. The question I have, and this is in difficult times, right? This is for the northern kingdom, these priests and the people, why is it that they left? Why couldn't they serve the Lord in the northern kingdom? And the answer to that is what we have here. It was because Jeroboam set up a system by which idols were worshipped and not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was a national religion of idolatry. Wherever the worship of idols is established, two worshippers of God are rejected. They're cast out, marginalized. And yes, even demonized. Called out as intolerant. Legalists who are threatening freedoms to commit evil and lewd acts. And who are accused of not expressing love toward all. Actually meaning not being tolerant toward all. And therefore aren't welcome. As I've said often... The world, the enemy, has redefined love. And the way the world describes and defines love is, it's actually, it's, it's not as it's defined in the word of God and by God. What the world uh, describes as love is, is one of tolerance. It's just accepting anything. People who as they are, who, who they are. You know, the Lord accepts us as we are, but he expects us, that's why there's this work of sanctification. You know, I, I'm, I'm, by the grace of God, I am not, not who I was. Even at the very beginning, when I first came to the Lord, I was at that point ignorant of what he expected of me. As I studied and as I went through the word of God and, and, and gained understanding, I, I understood more, clearer, Better, what would bless the Lord? I understand now that I still fall grossly short of possessing anything that would in and of myself bring glory to God. Outside of God's spirit and and his grace, I, I have nothing to offer. The Lord says that, um, God's word says that that our righteousness before a holy and righteous God is like a dirty garment. At the same time, there is a standard. There can be no redefining of these terms. We understand that true worshipers of God worship him. In spirit and in truth. And so therefore, as we worship him in spirit and in truth, what happens as we stay to that path, if we stay focused on applying God's word, what happens is the world rejects us even more. Our desire is to spread the gospel just as we have received it. We desire for others to know the gospel, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we are saved by grace through faith in him. That we all, have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But he desires that none should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And so we, with, if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. At the moment we confess our sins and we We receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We are given new hearts, new desires, new perspectives. The old man is dead. And the new has come. And yet the world wants to... wants to completely stop that. As we come to the Lord... We prove our love for him through our obedience. Above all, the opinions and false worldviews that people hold and support as popular. The world will tell you what's popular, what you should follow. But the word of God tells us differently. You know, David Guzik said this, quote, These godly servants of the Lord refused to live in a kingdom where worshiping God as he commanded was against the law. Close quote. They weren't allowed by Jeroboam to go to Jerusalem to worship God. Or else they would have stayed in the northern kingdom. They would have stayed there and just made their journey to Jerusalem to worship God. But he didn't allow that. They weren't allowed to worship God there within the northern kingdom. The way God had prescribed for them to worship. So they were left with no other option at that point. Than just simply to leave. You know. We can't ignore the fact that this is happening. We're going in this direction here in America. We're going in that direction. Idol worship is being further established by the state. As many representatives of the people give themselves to supporting acts. That are an absolute abomination to God. i mean it it's, it is just absolutely unbelievable that we have these um uh what are they called when uh i'm drawing a, a blank when um trans are being invited to uh, uh to to uh, elementary schools or You know, the parents are being taken to, what am I, drag shows, drag, yeah, drag shows, drag, story time, time, drag shows, and this is happening more and more. This is absolutely, this is wicked, this is evil, this is grooming our children to be desensitized and to be exposed um, to lewdness, uh, to be um, desensitized toward those things which are an absolute abomination to the Lord. Sexual immorality. This is being supported by the majority. Sexualizing our children, perverting our children and and people overall. And the marginalizing and demonization of God-loving people who hold to the standard of God's word. And worship him through living lives in obedience to God's word. Holding the Bible as our morality and standard of living. We're being marginalized. We're being demonized. We are a threat even to our own country. Listen, at this point we can still worship openly. And I, I thank God for that. It's only by his mercy. By his grace because we deserve nothing less than judgment. But I believe that there will come a day and it will be sooner than I think we think. Look at what what's happened in the last 3 years. No one would think that we'd be in this place to where we're we're seeing what we're seeing in our country. A day is coming where we will either have to go underground or move to a place where we can worship openly or hold our ground where we are. And like the early church and the persecuted church around the world, proclaim the gospel regardless of how we are opposed and to what extent we are persecuted. You know, on Sunday, we began to learn about Jesus' Olivet Discourse. In Mark chapter 13, verse 9, we are reminded how it was that Jesus was preparing his disciples, uh, describing to them and telling them, this is how you ought to respond to the events of the last days. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And so, as Jesus described to them, what was to come in the last days? That's why I was saying on Sunday, hey, listen, are you prepared for the days that are coming? We've been warned. We need to be spiritually tough, we need to be spiritually ready. We need to be a people who have convictions that are immovable in the Lord, a trust and faith in God's word, standing together arm in arm, just locked in step, continuing to advance the gospel. Well, as we see, these people and priests return to Jerusalem and worship there. They strengthened the kingdom of Judah and secured Rabom's strength in his reign. For they walked for three years in the way of David and Solomon, verse 17. The godly remnant of God's people was the strength of the king of Judah, as we see described here. Verse 18 says, Rehoboam took as wife Mahalath, the daughter of Jeremoth, the son of David, and Abiel, the daughter of Eliab, the son of Jesse. And she bore him sons, uh, Jehoshemariah, and Zaim. After her, he took Makah, the daughter of Absalom, who bore him Abijah, Ati, Ziza, and Shelemoth. Rehoboam loved Macah, the daughter of Absalom, above all his wives and concubines. He took 18 wives and 60 concubines and fathered 28 sons and 60 daughters. And Rehoboam appointed Abijah, the son of Makah as chief prince among his brothers, for he intended to make him king. And he dealt wisely and distributed some of his sons through all the districts of Judah and Benjamin in all the fortified cities. And he gave them abundant provisions and procured wives for them. Now, as we see here, Rehoboam followed after the example of his father, Solomon. He didn't take as many wives and concubines, but looked like he was going in that direction. Remember, that uh, between wives and concubines, Solomon had 1,000. But at the same time, this exposes the heart of Rehoboam as well. Just like it did with Solomon, so it is doing with Rehoboam. It was a heart that did not pursue after God's own heart, but pursued after his own lustful desires. Abijah, the son of Makkah, whom he loved more than all the others, was made the crown prince of Judah. And thus, being the crown prince, he was a successor to the throne. He was chosen by him because he preferred Makkah over all of the other wives and concubines. And so therefore, Abijah was the son that he had chosen to succeed him. It's implied by the distribution of his sons that Rehoboam acted with wisdom in that he made sure that all of his other sons were dispersed among the kingdom, and they were provided for well, even giving them, making sure that they were well distracted with with wives and provisions, and they were well cared for, uh, having been spread throughout the whole kingdom. Chapter 12, verse 1, let's continue. When the rule of Rehoboam was established, as it was, and he was strong. He abandoned the law of the Lord and all Israel with him. Let's stop there for a moment. This is important. As we see at the height of his strength. Of the strength of the kingdom. What happened? We saw how it was that. The kingdom of Judah was strong and Rehoboam's reign was secure and it was at that very moment that he abandoned the word of god and all israel followed in the same path right after him turn with me to first kings chapter 14 first kings chapter 14 we're going to go to verse 21 So 1 Kings chapter 14, verse 21 says, Now Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city that the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, to put his name there. His mother's name was Naamah the Ammonite, and Judah did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And they provoked him to jealousy with their sins that they committed, more than all that their fathers had done, For they also built for themselves high places and pillars and ashram on every high hill and under every green tree. And there were also male cult prostitutes in the land. They did according to all the abominations of the nations that the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. So we have described in in 1 Kings chapter 14 the details of what it was that provoked the Lord to... To wrath. To bring them into judgment. It was their abominations that provoked God to jealousy. You see, they gave themselves to false gods. Worshipping false gods. Idols. That was supported. Provision was made for. Idolatry and the worship of these false gods and even building places, both the high places and under every green tree. It was just everywhere you looked, there was a place to worship false gods. Even practicing sexual perversion, cultic prostitution. They had committed spiritual adultery. You see, they belonged to God. These people, they were chosen by God. They were God's people. And now they were pursuing and worshiping other gods. And so it's described as Judah having done evil in the sight of the Lord. John Knox said, quote, like king, like court, like ruler, like subjects. As Rehoboam did, so did the rest of the nation. Remember, for three years, for three years, they knew strength. They knew God's favor. The reign of Rehoboam was secured. And at the height of that, they turned their backs on the Lord, beginning with the king. And everyone else followed as it was with the king, so it was with the kingdom. As it was, was with Rehoboam, so it was with Judah. Well, as a result, as we see here in the fifth year of King Rehoboam, verse 2, because they had been unfaithful to the Lord, Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem with 1,200 chariots and 60,000 horsemen. And the people were without number who came with him from Egypt, Libyans, Succim and Ethiopians, and he took the fortified cities of Judah and came as far as Jerusalem. Then Shemaiah the prophet came to Rehoboam and to the princes of Judah, who had gathered at Jerusalem because of Shishak, and said to them, Thus says the Lord, You abandoned me, so I have abandoned you to the hand of Shishak. Then the princes of Israel and the king humbled themselves and said, The Lord is righteous. When the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, They have humbled themselves, I will not destroy them. But I will grant them some deliverance, and my wrath shall not be poured out on Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. Nevertheless, they shall be servants to him, that they may know my service and the service of the kingdoms of the countries." Listen, oftentimes the world speculates as to why it is that sometimes God's people enter into a time of discipline. The world can speculate all they want. And they will. Other people will all the time. The world can speculate all they want as to why Egypt and the accompanying nations joined forces to come against Judah. But God's word always gives a true reason. Reality without speculation. No guess. No opinion without knowledge. It's a factual statement. And so God stated. It was because Rehoboam and Judah had been unfaithful to God. That he allowed Shishak and this massive army to come against Judah. It was as God said. Because the leader and the nation was unfaithful, not worshiping God with the worship he is due. And please note that no matter how fortified the cities were, no matter how massive the fortresses were, it did not matter. They were nothing. If God allows judgment to come, discipline to come, And it doesn't matter how thick the walls are, how high the walls are, how wide and how long the fortified city is. It doesn't matter. If the Lord allows, he will penetrate anything. It's nothing to the Lord. And the Lord stated, it was time. They were due. They had abandoned me. They had been unfaithful. Their hearts were not turning. They were allowing them to be overrun by another nation. It was at that time that the invasion, of the invasion, that the, the leaders, the, the princes, the commanders of all of these fortified cities. They fled from their cities and they came to Jerusalem all together to gather. And it was at that point that God sent Shemaiah the prophet to tell Rehoboam why this was happening. Thus says the Lord Here's the prophet Shemaiah again. He's bringing the word again. What does God have to say this time? And he simply said this You have abandoned me. So I have abandoned you to the hand of Shishak. To me, this is very interesting. This is it? God, you, you sent Shemaiah, your prophet, and this is, this is all you have to say to the people? That's it? Simple words, isn't it? Aren't they? God didn't give some lengthy, compassionate, quote unquote, kind, gentle, and soft word to them. God didn't go into a lengthy explanation of why they found themselves in this predicament. Now let's sit down and talk about this. He didn't do that. He said it plainly. And he said it simply. And he said it once one time and they understood it their response the king and the leaders says that they humbled themselves and they also responded in a, a very simple and straightforward way the Lord is righteous. What this means is that they were confessing that God had every right to do this because what they were doing was wrong. It was evil. It was in opposition to his word. They knew that they had abandoned the law of God. They knew with those words, they were confessing, hey, listen, we deserve everything we're getting right now. Everything. Listen, church, we, we all too often, we say quite the opposite, don't we? we? At least we express that. If we don't say it, we express that. Because any time we find ourselves in a difficult situation... We say, I don't deserve this. Why am I dealing with this? What did I do? Let me ask you something. What, what do we deserve? We deserve absolutely nothing. We deserve to be judged. And by God's grace, through faith, by the blood of Christ, we have the hope of heaven. We have been forgiven. But these men, they they confess and they said, hey, we deserve everything that we're getting. The Lord is righteous, period. That's it. They knew they had turned their back on him. And in doing so, in that moment, as they continued to turn their backs on the Lord and Be unfaithful to the Lord. He gave them over to the world that they declared their love for. You know, when we abandon the Lord and turn to the world, we're declaring we don't love you. We do not honor you. And we desire more than you, God. We desire the things of the world. And at some point, if we insist on that, the Lord will give give you over to that. The more you reject God, the closer you are to God giving you over to the desires of your heart and rejecting you. It's not for the purpose of destroying you, by the way. It's giving you over so that you may realize that you are behaving in a way that is an offense to God. And you realize that God is kind. He is love. He is merciful. And perhaps you need to cry out. For God's grace, for his forgiveness. But something happened here that is really important for us to to note and realize. They humble themselves. In second chronicles chapter seven, verse fourteen, and this is the Lord speaking if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. What did they just do? They humbled themselves. That's why I tell you, keep keep focus, keep, fixed, keep your eyes fixed on the Lord. Because God is faithful, he cannot deny himself. And he is faithful to follow through with his word. He is faithful. As he said, so it will be. They humbled themselves and he responded. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we genuinely come to to Him and confess our sins, repenting of our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness once again. God's discipline is applied for the purpose of being trained by it, as it says in Hebrews. To know God's righteousness and to turn to Him or back to him. They confessed, they agreed with God that they had transgressed. A.W. Tozer said, quote, We need never shout across the spaces to an absent God. He is nearer than our own soul, closer than our most secret thoughts, close quote. For Rehoboam and all the leaders, at that very moment, all they had to do is, is confess and repent. They humbled themselves before God and realized he was there the whole time. He's just waiting for them to do that very thing. Oh, How often we believe the whispers of the enemy saying God is far from you. You You've done too much. No. His grace is sufficient. At that very moment, what's wonderful, at that moment that you genuinely confess, you turn, you realize that he's, he's been there. He's just been waiting for you. as plainly as God communicated his judgment on them they communicated their humble confession and he heard the king and all the leaders all were heard immediately god did not speak to rehoboam he did not speak to the leaders he spoke to shemaiah the prophet acknowledging their humble confession and said he would not pour out his wrath but at the same time still gave them over to shishak to serve him he would not allow shishak to destroy jerusalem but he told them that he told him that he would give them some deliverance god in his infinite wisdom allowed them to experience being under the rule of a worldly leader you want to go to the world and seek what only god can provide Your choice but when you're done and you realize that the world only oppresses and uses and destroys and undermines and leaves you wanting that time when you're empty and seeking that peace that you once knew that very moment you can confess come back right into the arms of our God and our Savior, knowing that true peace and hope is only found in Jesus Christ by his grace and mercy. You know, it's Jesus who, in Matthew chapter 11, said this, "'Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. "'Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, "'and you will find rest for your souls.'" For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. True rest and peace, we know, is only found in Jesus Christ. Verse 9, So Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. He took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took away everything. He also took away the shields of gold that Solomon had made and King Rehoboam made in their place shields of bronze and committed them to the hands of the officers of the guard who kept the door of the king's house. And as often as the king went into the house of the Lord, he, the guard came and carried them and brought them back to the guardroom. And when he humbled himself, the wrath of the Lord re, uh, turned from him so as not to make a complete destruction. Moreover, conditions were good in Judah. So, Much of the gold that Solomon had left to his son were now taken because of Rehoboam's choices of abandoning the Lord. Shishak took the gold and Rehoboam replaces shields of gold with shields of bronze. A decline. We're always in a decline when we choose to abandon the Lord. Exchanging what God offers for what the world offers is always a fool's game. And the one who plays it is always a loser one who loses not gains but there's always a loss the exchange was righteousness for judgment God's righteous judgment again we know the purpose for that and that's to come to a place of repentance and reconciliation listen even though Rehoboam had previously humbled himself the Lord knew that there was a further humbling that needed to happen we saw that he, ha- he humbled himself once, and, and the Lord held back his hand from completely destroying and pouring out his wrath upon him. He repented a second time, humbled himself a second time. Again, God, knowing that it was necessary, brought him to that point, And it came, and the wrath of the Lord turned from him. And there is a note here that God wanted to communicate Something important. That is verse 12, which says, Moreover, conditions were good in Judah. What this means is that there was a remnant of God-fearing people left in Jerusalem. And so with that, he said, hey, there's, there's, there's a remnant there in Jerusalem. I've held my hand back from completely taking Rehoboam out. By God's mercy, he did that. And with that, he he was faithful to the word that he gave to David, to Solomon. And therefore, through Rehoboam, he left them to reign. Abijah is the next to succeed him, and we'll learn about that next week. But verse 13, as we conclude this evening, says, So King Rehoboam grew strong in Jerusalem and reigned. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city that the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, to put his name there. His mother's name was name of the Ammonite, and he did evil, for he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. Now the acts of Rehoboam from first to last, are they not written in the chronicles of Shemaiah the prophet and of Edo the seer? There were continual wars between Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And Rehoboam slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And Abijah, his son, reigned in his place. It was by God's mercy that Rehoboam made it through this time. God was faithful to his promises. And when the king and the people humbled themselves before the Lord, he turned from completely destroying him and them, just as he said he would. God is faithful. He will keep his word. 100% of the time. The value of repentance is all too often overlooked and often taken for granted. As we have gone through these chapters, we ought to know God's faithfulness. We ought to not take for granted His mercy and His grace. We as God's people ought to live lives of repentance, turning to Him often. He has much to teach us. We have much to repent of. We ought to yield ourselves to the sanctifying work of the Lord in our lives. Being shaped and molded into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we may glorify him in and through our lives by the empowering of the Holy Spirit and by the leading of his word. May we humble ourselves before a holy and righteous God, And repent that we may know God's mercy and his grace every day of our lives until he calls us home. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. As we consider what we have gone over this evening and the reign of Rehoboam, how it is that even though he had abandoned your word, Lord, at the moment that he humbled himself and confessed... That he had fallen short and Lord confessing that he deserved nothing other than judgment. Oh Lord, you were quick. You were quick to lighten the judgment. You were quick to follow through with what you had promised. And I pray, Lord, that... That it would not take multiple warnings, multiple times of being exposed to your word for us to heed your word, for us to express our love for you by keeping your commandments. I pray, Lord, that as we have seen, Rehoboam was told once by Shemaiah as he brought forth your word, that Rehoboam, in that moment of hearing it once, he responded. May we respond that quickly, Lord. Being quick to obediently follow your word. And in so doing, bless you. And prove our love for you. And so, Father, fill us with your spirit. Guide and direct us. Help us, Lord. Walk in your grace. Filled with the spirit and according to your word. In Jesus' name we pray.